0: Joining me today is Father Calvin Robinson, an Anglican deacon and someone who has been very outspoken about woke ideology, critical race theory. And I think, Calvin, you were one of the few people in the UK at one time who suggested that the draconian COVID lockdowns might not be effective or proportionate. Thank you very much for coming on my show.
1: Douglas, it's a pleasure to be on your show, and you are absolutely right. Uh, don't, Don't forget, A lot of us were taken aback by uh, the COVID so-called pandemic early on. And I was one of the people that thought, OK, I'll give the government the benefit of the doubt. But I did that. And then we researched and we looked into what was going on. and, And a lot of us decided that lockdowns were draconian. They were tyrannous and they were something that we'd expect to see from, I don't know, communist China, but never in the liberal democratic West. But what was worse than that was that the governments kept pushing for them again. And again, despite the evidence in the contrary,
0: we we, we didn't really have a pandemic of a, a virus. We had a pandemic of hysteri- hysterical authoritarianism. Why, yeah. why do you think why do you think that happened? I mean, you know, you had a notionally conservative government in Britain. You had a prime minister, Boris Johnson, who had kind of made a career as a journalist by attacking the so-called nanny state, um, who, who positioned himself very much as a small government conservative. Why why was it that we ended up in this sort of delusional national hysteria?
1: I think it comes down to fundamentally the way we see ourselves as people and the way we see our government We used to see the government as there to govern on our behalf, to represent us. That's the whole point Mm -hmm. of parliamentarians. They used to be public servants there to serve the public. And at some point along the way, we've started to look at them as leaders and people to lead the nation and to lead us. And we generally speaking, as human beings, tend to be sheep. So we've been looking towards these leaders to solve all of our problems. Now, I happen to think that government is best when it's smallest and when it stays out of our way and lets us live our lives. It's there for really essentials like protecting national borders and some kind of safety net. uh, I don't believe in a welfare state, but some kind of safety net for people that fall through the system. But the government is not there to fix our problems. It's not there Mm -hmm. to solve our problems. It's not there to live our lives for us. But somehow... We've changed mentalities over the last 50 to 100 years uh, since the world wars, I would suggest, into thinking that the government is there on our behalf in every
0: aspect of our lives. And it's a mistake. But the the danger with that, if you start to think of politicians as people to solve your problems, and I I remember the 12 years I served as a member of parliament in the House of Commons, some of the most depressing conversations I would have would be with constituents when they would say, what are you going to do for me? As as, as though somehow... It was my job to, to 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 do things, to fix things. Um, I, I I wonder if if you regard your political leaders as there to solve problems, it's not really a surprise when they big up problems that need solving, whether it's a, 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 a virus or, or climate change, or you know they they will tend to find uh, emergencies that they they claim that they're there to solve. Well, of
1: course, it's the old adage, adage isn't it? That if you give a, a government powers in emergencies, they'll create emergencies so they get extra powers because people are attracted to power naturally. And we saw this throughout lockdown, we saw this throughout COVID in that our government in the UK. Um, did away with the parliamentary democratic system. They did away with accountability. They did away with the Houses of Parliament for for the most part and created a very small executive of essentially four ministers in a, in a new sub-cabinet of sorts where they made all of the most important decisions.
0: Do you think those four ministers were actually making the decisions or do you think they were in a sense just rubber stamping what the technocracy around them put in front of them? A bit of both, I really do. I think there's... A massive echo chamber in that the
1: technocracy around them presented a certain narrative and other narratives were shut down and never made it through to those four ministers, unfortunately. But when they did, they were drowned out.
0: One of the things that's never really been properly explored is the role of human rights legislation and judges in all of this. I, I remember for many years before the COVID pandemic being told that the human rights Judges and the human rights legislation and the human rights uh, body of rulings existed in order to ensure that individual liberties were protected against arbitrary government. And the most extraordinary thing then happened during COVID. Not a peep out of any human rights lawyer or, or, or campaign group or judge that I can think of. Um, you know, none of those people who've grown rich by um, you know. Um, campaigning as judicial activists uh, for, for human rights. None of them put their head above the parapet. None of them sided with the slightly unfashionable uh, protesters who scuffled with, with police for arresting them for, for, for congregating in public parks. Yeah. Suddenly, the, the, the entire um, human rights cause in the UK was was shown to be you know an empty husk it was it was it was run by charlatans so when the government actually violated people's human rights and individual liberties the human rights industry didn't lift a finger
1: what, what why was that well there's two sides to that on the on the first side we don't actually believe in liberty. We, we think we do. We talk about freedom all the time, but actually we we far prefer safetyism and authoritarianism through safetyism than we do liberty. Liberty means very little to us in England. Uh, we don't have the same statutes that you guys have there in America. And I'm classing you as American these days, Douglas. Uh, but the other side of that is that these... Human rights lawyers are activists, as you quite rightly pointed out, and they fall on the left of the of the political ladder. Which means that we we often see them, especially right now. They're very corrupt in the way of um, helping asylum seekers in the UK who are here illegally. Now, of course, as a Christian would say, we we are here to extend a hand to those in need, and that quite often that means helping people make a better place of their own home. So they want to stay where they are from rather than everyone migrating and leaving their home country. Uh, However, the left are the hard left activists, which includes the human rights lawyers, uh, believe in an open border system. And we've seen this with human rights lawyers in the UK at the moment, bending the system in order to um, essentially push forward their policy. And one manifestation of that is that at the moment, we have a very sturdy barge um, on, on, this, on the southern coast where we are saying we'll, we'll put these illegal immigrants as we process them and find out if their claim is legitimate or not and the human rights lawyers are saying you cannot put them in this very sturdy barge that is docked on the coast because not not some not most but all of these illegal immigrants that come over or have a severe fear of water bearing in mind that they've come over in these dodgy dinghies um uh, that you know i wouldn't let a child go across the channel in I wouldn't let anyone go across the channel and uh, they're very dangerous. And th- this is the whole point that these lawyers are bending the law and twisting truth in order to get their lefty, hard hard left activist policies through. And that's what we saw. And that's why they didn't stand up for our freedoms and our liberty because A, they don't believe in freedom and liberty and B,
0: they don't know what it means. Well, one of the things I find quite depressing looking across the Atlantic at what's happening in the UK is you've got, as you eloquently say this, um, Um, Human rights industry lawyers able to thwart the government able to stop the government deporting people able to make a nonsense of the country's uh, rules on immigration, And, and, and yet after I think 13 or 14 years of conservative government. you you hear ministers talking about how they might want to actually change the law so that you know the european convention on human rights can't constantly be invoked to to frustrate the government from policing its borders well why why after 13 or 14 years of notionally conservative governments has nothing been done to actually tackle this problem well because you, you you say we've had a conservative government for the last
1: 12 13 years we've got a conservative government in name only they don't conserve anything But this, I mean, they're always pointing the finger. They're pointing the finger right now at the European Convention of Human Rights, as you pointed out. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the EU, as you know, as part of Team Vote Leave. I I voted to leave the European Union. However, the the European Convention of Human Rights is there to protect some of our human rights and can be used in a good way. Uh, and, and throwing the baby out with the bathwater would be a mistake, because I don't trust mm-hmm. the, the English government, I don't trust the United Kingdom government to put in a better bill of human rights for the British people at the moment. That's a sad state of affairs. Because if you look at the the law that they're saying is being used against us by these activist human rights lawyers, it's actually... Uh, a law that is supposed to protect people from modern-day slavery. Now, we, of course, want people to be protected from modern-day slavery. So what we need to do is prevent these activist lawyers from manipulating this law, make the law explicit and make it clear. And if these lawyers are following the letter of the law but not the spirit of the law, then something needs to be addressed there rather than actually getting rid of the law
0: entirely. I mean, the European Convention on Human Rights, I I should point out, is totally separate from from the the EU. Would it be fair to say that Britain's grappling with a problem here, that you, you... You you do need a Bill of Rights. Britain famously uh, enacted a Bill of Rights in um, 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 1689, and um, the Americans um, kind of copied some of that when they famously created their Bill of Rights as the first 10 amendments to the U.S. Constitution. You you could almost say that the problem Britain has is that it it doesn't have anywhere written down a, a Charter of Fundamental Rights like The United States Bill of Rights. It's got this sort of um, um, post Second World War European Convention. Do you think there's an argument for saying that it should adopt, in effect, the United States Bill of Rights?
1: These days, it's possible, but I think our system is very different. We, you know, we come from a common law approach of w- everything is legal unless it's explicitly outlawed, and that's that's the way that the Englishman used to live his life. An Englishman's mm-hmm. home used to be his castle, and the government was separate to that. But now we do have a system where everything has to be laid out in the law: what you are allowed to do, what you're mm-hmm. not allowed to do. And our constitution has always been unwritten for the reason that we're always, we've always assumed that we have rights. Uh, And those rights should be protected without being explicit. But now we've come to a point where actually I think the American approach is superior because people aren't respecting our rights unless
0: they see what they are written down. I was horrified the other day to discover that back in back in the old country, back in the UK, there's a government regulator that oversees the press and it is currently drafting guidelines to regulate how newspapers report on things like transgender issues and I think goodness thank goodness I live in a country that has a a a a a, a bill of rights you know first amendment um it is quite extraordinary that in this day and and again complete silence from the um human rights industry in the UK where are people saying that this is an outrageous infringement upon individual liberty it's going back to uh, uh, a sort of pre-modern idea that the state licenses printing presses almost, and it's happening, yeah. and, and, and none of the people who profess to be um, on the side of liberty and righteousness seem to be doing anything about it. It's quite extraordinary. No, thank you for pointing that out,
1: because a lot of people don't realize that. We do have a quango called Ofcom, who essentially regulate the press. It's supposed to be voluntary, but it's not, of course, and it's a government, an arm's length of approach from the government. But what we saw throughout COVID is that Ofcom said to uh, broadcasters and newspapers, it said to the, the entire media, you are not allowed to question or undermine public health bodies. -hmm. Now that that word question was in there very explicitly. That's so dangerous. The the freedom of the press should be there to question everything that anyone does, especially public health bodies and the government. Mm -hmm. But Ofcom said you cannot question the public health bodies on decisions related to COVID, which meant that we couldn't really have a proper open conversation about COVID, the the virus itself, if it even existed, what it was. Was it a cold? Was it a flu? Did it was it was it anything? Um we couldn't have conversations about the vaccine. How, well, how was it tested? For how long? Had it been tested at all? Um, how, did the, how did the Chinese happen to come up with a with a prototype that they were able to pass on to these American companies in such a short amount of time? Um, was there gain-of-function research done? We couldn't ask any of these questions. I couldn't even ask about ivermectin, which seemed to be working in other countries. Couldn't have mm-hmm. a conversation about it because Ofcom would clamp down on us and that is not a free press and you're right your first amendment and your second amendment actually
0: are fundamental human rights that i think every country should have i I want to if i may um move on to the subject of of critical race theory um i i'm talking to you from a republic that is home to people from pretty much all over the planet um on uh thanksgiving and july the 4th um, hundreds of millions of Americans celebrate the fact that, um, however they or their ancestors got here, that they're here, and that being in the United States gives them um, a, a something in something in common. Um, critical race theory is really, I think, quite dangerous for the United States because it attacks this idea that you know all Americans are created equal; they're equal under the law. And it undermines this idea that Americans should see themselves as individuals in in, in charge of their own destinies and start to see themselves as part of a a class defined by race. Mm -hmm. And they should see themselves either as the oppressor or the oppressed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we often hear people say things like, well, Great Britain was founded by or built by immigration and it's an immigrants nation. No, it isn't. Britain is is a nation of Brits. However, America was built by immigrants, quite literally. And it's something that you should celebrate because it is a melting pot of of people. And it doesn't matter what skin colour you have, doesn't matter what race you are, doesn't even matter what religion you are for the most part. In America, you are just American. And that's something you can all gather in unity under the American flag. That is to be celebrated. However, critical race theory is this experiment of looking at the world through the lens of race. And whenever you look at the world through any lens, you're going to see what you're looking for. If you look for race, race racism hard enough, you will find it. And that's what critical race theory does. It finds racism where often it doesn't exist to begin with. And it tries to solve societal problems through the lens of race, when, again, racism might not be there. For example... Uh, in in the United Kingdom, we have a massive class divide. It's probably the biggest divide uh, that affects or disparages people or affects their outcomes in life. Much far, much more of an impact than race. However, when we look at the world through a, a lens of race, we say, well, why are white kids uh, getting this treatment and black kids getting this treatment? We need to do something for the black kids, rather than looking at the data properly. And as a, as a former educator myself, I'd say, it's the working class kids that are suffering in our education system. Let's help all working class kids. Let's address that issue. That addresses both the black kids and the white working class kids because at the moment all we're doing is focusing on the ethnic minorities and the white working class kids are at the bottom of the league tables and that's because we are not only, we're not able to address them or help them because they are white and that is seen as privileged. Critical race theory teaches that white people are inherently privileged no matter your class, no matter your background, no matter your wealth status and black people and ethnic minorities are inherently oppressed again no matter your religion your wealth or anything like that and that is wrong it's a lie we all know it to be a lie but they perpetuate this to the point that they make it exist they make it happen if you teach young black kids if you tell them often enough you are held back you are oppressed this this system is racist that you live in we are an institutionally racist country you cannot achieve success in life you will not do anything with your life of course they'll start to believe it and likewise if we tell white kids you're racist you know, there's nothing you can do about that. You are an oppressor. You are holding these people back. You'll build resentment and bitterness between these two people that might not have even realized they were different colors to begin with. Because let's admit it, children do not see race in the way that adults do. We teach them to be racist.
0: One of the things that I find quite extraordinary is how ideas that were regarded as kind of way out on the fringe 30, 40 years ago mm-hmm. have captured supposedly establishment mainstream institutions. Um, the 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 media broadcasters and the, the the Church of England. Um, do you do you think being slightly self-critical for a moment, that part of the problem is that as conservatives, we haven't really focused on what our national narrative is. We haven't really focused on giving um the country a a, a sense of purpose. And perhaps there's been a vacuum there, which the left has filled with this um, woke critical race theory narrative. And that actually as conservatives, what we need to do is is not just um, um, attack critical race theory. We we need to do a much better job of explaining why we should see ourselves as individuals, what the American dream or the British dream is, why it is that in um, the uh, English speaking world, people should be regarded as equal before the law and why why that is a rare and precious thing. Um, do, do, do you think there's an element of um, self-criticism needed here for the conservative movement?
1: Massively. I don't think most conservatives are conservative. I think quite a lot of them are libertarians and quite a lot of them are liberals, and there is a difference between the two. Uh, but the problem here is that most conservatives will say, well, let them get on with it. They're not harming anyone. As long as they're not harming anyone, they can do whatever they like. Mm-hmm. That's the first mistake. The second mistake is, like you said, attacking things like critical race theory, but then expecting to have a neutral option instead. Okay, so we won't push any values. You can't push that, that hard left critical race theory stuff. We have to have neutrality, political neutrality. So all ideas are equal. All ideas are not equal. All cultures are not equal. We have to, as conservatives, actively, not passively, actively promote the values that we see as superior, as better, as good, And as a Brit, I would say British values are good and they need to be pushed in the British public square. So in education, in healthcare, in government, we have to say these are British values. They're a good thing. And likewise in America, American values are a good thing that should be promoted. And so in our system at the moment in Britain, for example, in education, they'd say teachers cannot undermine British values. I would flip that right around, say teachers should promote British values. And then if we get...
0: Go on. Cultural relativism is almost you could say the root cause of the problem and the problem is that conservatives have been afraid of countering cultural relativism by saying actually no western values are superior um, are. anglo-american values are better than other values and um, there's a reason why hundreds of thousands of people want to move to the uk and to the united states and it's a reflection of the fact that the way of life here is a better way of life than it is in other parts of the world. And we, we shouldn't be afraid of, of saying that and then explaining what it is about our history and our political philosophy that has led to that.
1: Yes, absolutely. And we're not authoritarian. We're we're able to have a conversation about this. We're able to debate this, but mm-hmm. we have to state our claim first and foremost. And I would say Christian values are what the uh, Anglo-American world is built upon the, the western civilization was built upon christian values um, and that is a good thing and that's what we need to champion because the moment we take that foundation away the west crumbles as we're seeing right now it's the uh, fall of the
0: west of course what a lot of the woke ideologues would say is that actually the west within living memory didn't apply the principles that it lays claim to um and that somehow Um, you know, this is hypocrisy and the West has has, has double standards. But on the other hand, if you're a cultural relativist, if you believe that all cultures are equal, you can't be in favour or can't believe in the idea of of cultural progress, because if all cultures are the same, by definition, you can't improve a culture. So um, cultural relativists are busy saying that all cultures are the same. But ultimately, where that Leads you to is to say that there can be no improvement in a political culture in a society, whereas the conservatives, I, I hope, would point out that actually Western culture has got better we I, I think we, we treat people of different backgrounds more fairly in the United States than we used to um, the civil rights movement achieved a practical equality far, far, far more than um, had been the case beforehand. Um, there's been huge progress in the equal treatment of, of 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 gay people under the law. So there's been a huge amount of of progress in the West itself. To to claim that Western values are are good is 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 not to say that they've always been good. It's a reflection of the fact that actually the West has got better. It has.
1: But we also have to acknowledge that progress isn't linear. because people say well it's 2023 why do you still believe x y and z as if the date being 2023 makes a difference and there's this superiority complex that we are better than everyone that's come before us and that is a lie it's untrue societies are secular they rise and they fall we've seen that with every single society throughout human history i happen to think western society western civilization peaked maybe 100 years ago and we've been on a downward trajectory ever since and as things have progressed, like race relations, good thing, other things have denigrated. And it's a great shame to see that, you know, in the in the public square, you mentioned gay rights, for example, we reached a point where anyone could have a relationship with anyone that they wanted, as long as they were adults and consenting. And that was seen as a good thing. However, we've gone past that point now where we're reaching a a situation where the LGBTQ plus movement is, is promoting or some people within it are promoting the idea that people can be attracted to minors minor attractive persons we would have called those pedophiles back in the day and the whole gay rights movement would have, said, would have said we want nothing to do with that that's completely separate to what we're talking about we just want to to love men loving men and women loving women nothing to do with children but we've gone too far in the other direction yeah, I, I,
0: I i i do wonder if some of the radical transgender agenda in the united states might actually weirdly harm the advances um, in equal treatment for gay people made over the past 30 or 40 years. Um, it's, it's a bit, it's, it's, it's rather worrying. Just, just finally, I just want to end on a, on a thought. We know that not all cultures are the same. We know that some ways of life are better than others. We know that the Western way of life has seen significant progress. Mm. What do you think in a hundred years time, people might look back on and say in 2023 um, we, we got wrong. we, you know, Are there things we're doing today, accepted norms today, that in future you think people will look back on and say, how on earth did they put up with that?
1: Our accepted, our accepted norms are so transitory at the moment that I don't even think what we believe to be normal now will be believable in five years' time, never mind 100. In 100 years' time, they'll look back and say, that was the clown world, that was the crazy era, where they didn't know what a woman was, and at the yeah. same time, they thought men could become women. Uh, this, this is the time where the Western liberal de- democratic societies locked their people under martial law for for a cold. And this is the time when they took God out of the nation and made gods of themselves and everything crumbled as a result. And it's a great shame because the Western society was a beautiful thing
0: for a long time. I, I, I do wonder if people might look back, maybe not in 100 years time, maybe in 10, 15, 20 years time and think, you know, what, what on earth were we doing? tolerating the sort of medical mutilation of minors in pursuit of sort of uh, transgender um um uh, 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 quasi-religion what on earth were we doing allowing? Progressive university lecturers to teach our young people to despise our society. At least I, I hope we look back and think that. But rather like lockdowns, I suspect when that happens, when we finally reject these mad ideas, mm. rather like with lockdowns, no one will ever remember having been in favour of them in the first place. No. And people won't won't understand how it was possible. Like when we yeah. look back at the Nazi period, we don't
1: understand how could you possibly align with these people, but everyone did because we're sheep. And you're right to point out that the mutilation of young people. We giving we are giving them what we call called puberty blockers which is it's chemical castration it's the same drug that we give to pedophiles and it's disgusting that we're doing this we're chopping off their private parts and calling it progress that's not a way to address a mental illness but that's only one of the greater evils of the day the greatest evil of the day is this mass abortion that we're seeing across the west it's a it's a genocide it really is and one day in the future we'll look back and say how on earth did a so-called civilized people kill so many of
0: their unborn children and think it was a good thing that's interesting because often the progressives, so-called progressives, will say that advances, what they regard as advances in uh, the right to choose, is what they say. They 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 posit that as being an advance. Actually, what you're suggesting is we might look back and say um, that that was a, a barbaric regression. You know, I, I I see here in the United States there's quite a quite an interesting development. Obviously, the Supreme Court has. It's not actually ruled in favor of or against a woman's right to choose. What it's basically said is that it's for each state to decide. Mm -hmm. And so I think what we're now going to see in America is a fascinating competition between systems competition between the liberal states that sort of say, you know, pretty much anything goes. And those, um, like many of the southern states that say they don't be fascinating, fascinating to see how opinions shift in the different states as the consequences of that become more evident.
1: The thing I pray for for the United States is that they remember that they are United States again. It's not yeah. a country. It is a collection. A United States. And each state should be competing with the other state and they should be doing better. And actually, we we are seeing some of that. We're seeing as the left destroy California. People move out of California to Texas and Florida and look back and think, what did yeah. we do? And hopefully they'll learn from that.
0: Yeah, yeah. The the Population decline in Mississippi, that had been happening for uh, uh, as long as anyone can remember, has now stopped and is going into reverse. Uh, we're not yet quite attracting the numbers that Tennessee and Florida and Texas are attracting, but we're 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 not far off. So yeah, no, there's much much truth in what you say. Um, Calvin, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, it's been wonderful having you on, and um, best of luck.
1: Thank you very much. God bless you.